0: Step into my room, take a look on the shelf. I'm not a believer in do-it-yourself. I just want to hurt you, and now that it's plain, I just want to show you the meaning of pain. I'm a sadist in sequence. I'll injure and grin. A sadist in sequins. Don't let me in, or you're going to find out that you'll never win. I'm a sadist in sequins. Evil and sin. A turn-on for me is a scream or a howl. Handing out punishment, I know every foul. Don't take me lightly. Things could be hard. I used to give lessons to the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> my performance really started before I ever uh, stepped outside the uh, dressing room. I'd look in the mirror, I'd get the makeup on. The thing is your clothes. I think your clothes are very, very important, especially to me because I was known for my gowns and and the makeup and all that kind of stuff. It was like Clark Kent going into the phone box, meek journalist or whatever he was, and he'd sort of come out like Superman. When it was time for me to go in, they'd play my music. I can break a door down with one hand behind my back. I can crush a grizzly till his bones begin to crack. I then I'd step out, strike a pose, I'd stand there, and in my own mind, is like, OK, I'm a god, I've just descended from Mount Olympus. Now you suckers can sort of worship me and all that sort of stuff. So imagine what I could do to you. Mm. i give, like, an angry sort of frown and go, like, What? You peasants. This is like throwing pearl before the swine. So imagine what I could do to you. Mmm. Whether they boo their lungs out or whether they cheer their lungs out for me. Makes no difference. They're going to know I'm there, and I'm going to give them the best that I can possibly deliver. So imagine what I could do to you. Mmm, nice.
1: From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love & Radio. I'm Nick VanderKolk. Today's episode, Imagine What I Could Do To You, featuring the exotic Adrian Street.
0: I'd always admired like big gowns and things like that on taller guys. And I thought, I'm too short to wear like a full length, but I thought I'm going to try with that. And I looked at it. I thought, damn, I like that. It was um, purple. The design in front was lilac, gold, white lace, and lots of crystal rhinestones all over it. I've still got it and it still fits.
1: Do you design all of your own
0: costumes? I design everything. From the age of three, I was actually designing costumes. During the war, we all had our ration books over here. You could only get like a couple of ounces, there's a quarter of that, and very small amounts. I mean, meat, you couldn't get meat. And I loved meat, but I never got it when I was a kid. I sure make up for it now. Anyway, I had my own little ration book. And I felt important because that was my ration book and it had my name on it. I'd go down to the bottom of the street to the one and only candy store, remember back in those days. Now, I wasn't looking for the chocolates, which I suppose were very nice. They were actually wrapped in the best metallic foil. That's the reason I wanted them. I used to model little figures out of plasticine. Through trial and error, I knew exactly where I needed to tear this and tear that to cover an arm, to cover a leg, to cover the body. And I would turn my little plasticine figures into knights in shining armor. Well, ladies and gentlemen of Bell Sounds, as you heard... Imagine what I could do to you Written and sung by the exotic one Adrian Street And he starts quickly
1: on Henry Garcia Do you remember the first time you went to see a wrestling match?
0: I certainly do I was in a place called Newport In those days they wrestled Not like Vince McMahon's mob now where he's replaced Good wrestlers with bad actors These guys were wrestlers main event was a guy called Vic Hessel wrestling against Bert Aserati. He was a beast. Work. This guy was tough and this guy wanted to hurt the other guy. I mean, he wanted to hurt him. Work. But I wanted something more colorful, more flamboyant, more sort of showy. Imagine a king and I, that is all she did not hurt her heart. Like that movie with Yul Brenner and all the nice, beautiful costumes that they had in a Siamese court and all that kind of stuff back in that time. Imagine putting that show on, but instead of giving them those lovely costumes, the Yul Brenner character like the King of Siam was there with a pair of scruffy old jeans and a dirty T-shirt or something. You know, what would you think about that? For me, it's the same thing. They'd walk in the ring wearing sort of dressing gowns and things like that. Did you see like old men sort of sitting by the fire with a pipe, you know? Big woolly trunks. Colors came in black or brown. I guess they were sort of functional, especially you know it can get cold in Britain. It really put a dampener on my spirits, you know. I mean, the wrestling was there. Like I say, you couldn't fault the wrestling. I mean, damn, they were they were good. But I wanted more. I used to work out in the daytime in the YMCA in the middle of London. There was like a, like a balcony that they had the weights on. I'd be lifting weights and looking down all the time until I saw a number of wrestlers down there. Then I'd go down and I would wrestle with those guys as long as there was somebody there to wrestle with. I found professional wrestlers had their own version of Cockney slang. and all They could have a conversation and you wouldn't understand one word that they were saying. Wrestlers have said to me, like, what was all that ruckus about? Like, you know, coming out the r- Oh, I was coming out of the ring. A raspberry came up, hit me on the rose with his screaming. I got mad, hit him in the north. Now he hasn't got a general in his ankle. You wouldn't understand what I was talking about, but another wrestler would know what I meant. Coming from a ring and a raspberry, a raspberry ripple, a cripple came up to me, hit me on the rose, my rosemary, my knee... With his screaming, and his screaming old all such as crutch. I ate him in the north, his north and south, his mouth. Now he hasn't got a general, a general booth, a tooth. And his uncle, his uncle Ned, his head. Coming from a ring, a cripple came up to me, hit me on a knee. I ate him in his mouth. Now he hasn't got a tooth in his head. If somebody came into the dressing room and they didn't know who it was, they'd say, Queens? And I was like, Queen's Park, Queen's Park Ranger, a stranger. And that's the first thing I heard whenever I walked into a a dressing room. People said, Queen's, Queen's, Queen's. And I said, I'm not Queen's Park, mate. I know what it's all about. But nobody liked me at all, actually, when I had my first wrestling match. Most of all, my opponent. (laughs) I was the main event, mind you. There was a guy called Gentleman Joff Moran, first time I ever wrestled. I couldn't feel my feet touching the ground when I was walking to the ring. I mean, this is it. This is something I dreamt of since I was a kid of 11. And all of a sudden, here I'm doing it. Is it real? Is it real? Is it real? I got into the ring. The bell rang. I ran across the ring. The guy I was wrestling with started rolling all around the ring, head over heels, head over heels, head over heels. So I got back in the corner until he stood up. I grabbed him, put um, an arm lock on him, threw my feet up in the air, drove his face into the canvas, and he screamed, you bastard. I dislocated his shoulder. That was the end of the contest. When I go back to the dressing room, I walk back all triumphant. Who was their top guy? that would I just beaten in less than two minutes? When am I going to get some competition? When am I going to get a chance at a championship? Everybody in the dressing room was glaring at me like I had leprosy or something, and it was contagious. The guy's wife come running in the dressing room. You bastard. And nobody calls a Welshman a bastard, you know, because you take it literally. I remember saying, if you were a man, I'd punch your face off. Don't you dare call me a bastard. The promoter came over. He said, kid, kid, kid. He said, you can't do that. He said, you can't expect the people to pay good money for, he said, a bleeding men event only lasts two minutes. He said, I know I promised you two pounds, ten shillings. Think yourself lucky I'd give you anything at all. So at least I would got paid so I could call myself a professional wrestler. I've had my nose broken more times than I can remember. I've had all my ribs cracked and broke, cuts and bruises and split lips. I was wrestling up in Scotland and I had my Achilles tendon torn in half, ripped right in half, my foot was just flopping about. I was wrestling with a guy that jumped off a corner post, a guy weighed about 235, 240 pounds, missed my chest, hit my leg, and the bottom of my kneecap ended up Halfway up my thigh. Oh dear, I said as I fell down, or something like that. I still remember my number, the number of my locker actually, is 226. I'd put my helmet on, then I'd walk to uh, the lamp room. I was 15 years of age when I first worked in a coal mine. My father was only 14, and his father was 13. All the roof was cracked and it was dripping ice cold water all the time. By the time I actually got to the bit where I was digging, I'd be crawling through inches of ice-cold water, with water dripping on top of me the whole time, like it was like it was pissing with rain. I would be absolutely soaking wet before I even started uh, digging anything, and in that particular place was the hardest coal I've ever met in my life. I tell you, I used to be so miserable, I used to feel like I could have just about laid down and died in the water because uh, it was such a horrible day. I was doing that six days a week. Out of the money that I earned, I'd have to give it all to my mother and just keep a few shillings for myself pocket money and that was my life. My father was supposed to be a nurturer who was supposed to love me. That is what he wanted for me. The thing is, I don't need to be in the dark. I was made to be seen and it's too dark down there, you know what I mean? I need a spotlight. I was a very good wrestler by this time, but I was a good wrestler in the land of great wrestlers. I needed to do something to stand out. I got myself a jacket, puffy sleeves, it was made of sky blue velvet. I had trunks made in the same color to match. I shot into a store, got myself some bleach and bleached my hair blonde. I waist measured 27 at the time, and my chest was 48. I mean, I looked really good. I had a great suntan. Now I had the blonde hair, and I thought I looked fantastic. I imagined that when I walked from a dressing room, fans that had got to know me would be going, oh, wow, look at Adrian straight. What a great-looking little athlete. Like, oh, doesn't he look great? They'd appreciate what I was doing. When I walked out there, instead of getting a response that I imagined I was going to get, it was like, "Ooh, Mary, aren't you cute? Ooh, give us a kiss. When I stepped in the ring, my opponent, who sort of witnessed all this, wanted to get in on the act, and he turned round and sort of blew me a kiss and gave me like a limp wrist sort of uh, wave and pouted his lips and everything like that. Then he turned round in the corner waiting for the bell, but the second the bell rang, I was across the ring and touched him right up the backside. He jumped about four foot, spun around all indignant. I grabbed all of him by his face and kissed him on the lips. And the crowd went berserk. I thought, buggy you like if that's what you want, that's what you're gonna get. When a match was over, which I won, I walked out of the ring and, oh, my God, like, this is bloody... You know, I didn't expect that kind of response. I didn't expect that kind of response at all. Like, I made a big grand entrance, tripped over a banana skin, fell face first in a sherry trifle or something, you know what I mean? I come up with cream all over my chops. Then all of a sudden, it struck me that was not... The response I was looking for. But it was more response than anybody else got that night. And I thought I myself so bugger it. As time went on, I just kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope until you ended up getting the corticated straight. The, of Wales, the blonde,
1: blonde shell. Adrian Street
0: I put a little bit of makeup on my eyes. First of all, just a little bit. So when I walked past the people to the ring, I'd hear him say, was he wearing makeup? No. He was silly. He wouldn't... I'm sure he was. He would wear... Then I'd wear a little, more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more obvious. There he is with a full makeup, and I mean a full makeup here tonight. My costumes went from powder blue and silver to pink and purple and mauve and that sort of thing. He really has uh, laid it on, a gold lame type. That's multicolored boots, a usual blonde wig, and of course, much more makeup on his face than ever before. One of my favourites was to actually draw a butterfly on my face. I, I dare my opponents to come and, and swat and it. And now he's ready to go up, up on, in the opposite corner, James Barry of Bradford. Local boy here, and he'll be the one that they're always I've always been somebody that enjoyed a fight. How can I say, I was never a bully. I was more of a bully bully. Whenever I went to school, if there was a bully there that sort of beat up all the kids and everything like that, I would purposely put myself in the face of some guy who was a bully, have him challenge me and everything like that, and now I beat the living shit out of him. When I was first working in the coal mine, there was a big gypsy. We, I mean, they were like Irish pikers. It might be wrong, um, and what have you to call them gyppos, but that's what we used to call them in those days. I mean, I've never been a, um, a racist or anything like that. But it'd be like calling a black person the N word was to call the Gypsies a jippo. But anyway, these pikes, I mean, they could fight. And there was a big one. We used to call him Jack the Jippo and he was a bully. When I met him first was when I was doing my training in Oakdale, and he was on my case all the time. I was kind of into bodybuilding, and he could obviously see I was kind of built for my age. And he used to call me, Hey, Tarzan, like, what are you doing? Hey, Tarzan. And he'd get in my face all the time. Do you ever remember Frankie Lane's song, 16 Tons? I don't think I know that. Sixteen tons, and what'd he get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Oh, brother, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and walked to the mine. It was all about coal mining, right? Frankie Lane became the Welsh coal miner's patron saint. We imagined that he'd sung that song just for us. On the day I decided to have a go at Jack the Gippo, i revved myself up with that. We used to have to catch a train from Oakdale to the town I lived in, Brumau, and he would be on it. Anyway, on this particular day, when I got on the station, I saw him with one of his mates, and I went right up there and purposely got in the same compartment as him. I'm singing that song to myself, and I got it a bit. One fist of iron and the other of steel, if the right one don't get you, then the left one will. I said to him, why have you got such a big sloppy mouse? I said, your mother used to stick you on the window or something like that when she went shopping. All of a sudden, instead of like being right in my face, you started backing off. And I start pulling buttons off the upholstery, and flipping him in, in the nose. Anyway, I'm looking over at his friend. I said, hey, listen, you know what's going to happen to you, don't you? I said, you interfere and you're going to be very sorry. As I'm talking to him, he said, you better look out. And Jack the Gippo jumped off his seat and threw a punch, hit me in the chops. Jack was a big guy. I mean, a hell of a lot bigger than me, taller, heavier an ugly tough looking thing and I found a lot of big guys when you actually tried them out couldn't actually fight to save their lives they've never had to exert themselves or push themselves like a little guy like I did I tore him inside out and upside down I must stress I don't have a little man complex but The amount of times I've been in a room and somebody's walked in with a big broken nose, cauliflower ears, scars on their face, and they've gone, ''Oh, God, don't look over there. I wouldn't want to tangle with that guy.'' I said, ''I would.'' He's got marks all over him that proves he can be beaten. The fight ended when he was laying on the floor bleeding all over the place. And then the next stop we came to, he jumped out of the train, and that was that. I had a reputation for being somebody to hurt people. He fires away at him. Adrian was kicking him in the head. This city, British Bulldog, is what Adrian Street calls this submission home. The British Bulldog. I've got so many ways to hurt you, you'd have to invent new ways to scream. (laughs) I think I was in Texas or somewhere like that, and there was a commentator there as I was walking into the ring. Wow, well, here, here comes Adrian Street. Ho, oh, oh, ho, just look at him. What a strange character. When he walks into the ring, damn me, he looks like a French poodle. But damn me, when he gets in the ring and that bell goes, ah, he's no French poodle. That French poodle turns into an American pit bull. A good wrestling machine, this exotic A Street, a very good wrestler. Everybody, including my opponents, would underestimate me. Most unusual wrestler you've ever seen in your life. I'd be mincing around the ring. I'd be blowing kisses. Don't let all of his affectations uh, fool you a bit. I carry the act on until the last minute. He is a very, very dangerous man in the ring. Then all of a sudden, I did turn into an American pit bull. Is wrestling fake? Put it this way I could get hold of your fingers, I could get hold of your wrist, I could get hold of your arm, and I could yawn while I was breaking it. Now, how. Exciting with that look to a crowd. Now, to make it exciting for the crowd, you sort of grunt and rawr, like and, and, and make the face to look more vicious and more sort of spiteful, even though you're not using your full strands. And not only that, I don't want to rip your arm out by its socket, which I could. You're in the ring, you know, for the same reason that I am. You're trying to earn a living and you're not going to be wrestling tomorrow night if I rip your shoulder out. Look at it this way. This is something I've told my students too. You go in the ring and you wrestle the other guy, you might be capable of making the other guy look like crap. But don't forget, it's the promoter has the last word as to who wins and who doesn't. Wrestling, in my time, was not fake. Fixed, yes, but not fake. Now, any sport, any sport you care to mention... If there's money, if there's an angle, if there's a way of making more money for whoever's presenting the thing, it's fixed. Horse racing, football, rugby, you name it, it's done. Wrestling was often fixed because if they had somebody that had a lot of money in that they imported from another country, the only way they're going to make their money back is if this guy is going to be a big draw. The only way he can be a big draw is a winner. They put him on with me, like joint promotions did sometimes. you got, like, some some American, he's got a bit of a name and everything like that, he comes over, they've paid a lot of money. They put him on with me, oh, Adrian, you know, we've got money invested in this guy, blah, 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 he wins. Not in my bloody backyard, you don't, mate. You know, okay, I'm paid to sort of do what they tell me, so in the end, okay, the guy might win, but I tell you what, he's going to have a damn rough time while he gets there. I'm going to kick him inside out because if the promoters are watching, they're going to go, "Oh damn!" Like you know, we got him on with Adrian a couple of times next week. Look what Adrian's doing to him. We can't possibly let him um, let him win when he wrestles with Adrian again because it just wouldn't look right. He's actually losing the match, even if he gets the uh, result at the end. Now the thing is, do you think my opponent doesn't know that? And the only way he's going to keep earning big money is to beat the crap out of me. So the thing is, it becomes real. It becomes as real as it can possibly be.
1: Can you tell me more about the transition into
0: A Good Guy? How did
1: that come about?
0: There was a news broadcaster, his name was uh, Ron Goldneck. Normally on Friday nights, I tell you about the wild annex the wrestlers perform in the ring. But last night, I found out a different side of wrestling. South Alabama. All of a sudden, he was trying to get in touch with me. There was a young girl named Lisa Rush. 13 year old Lisa Rush had been bedridden. She had cystic fibrosis. She had requested to meet her favorite wrestler and his valet, Miss Linda. They thought that she only had about 48 hours to live. And like almost like the 11th hour, Linda and I attended the uh, hospital. You're the first one to get one of these. That's the very first one. I took t-shirts, like Exotic Adrian t-shirts. <laughs> okay, that's, okay, that's especially for you. Uh, uh, will never take it off. No? <laughs> and I give this little girl a hug. And she was like a 13, 14-year-old girl, something like that. And honestly, she was like a little bag of bones. I mean, you, you just thought she was only half her age. And I said, well, listen, Lisa, you wanted to meet us. I said, we wanted to meet you. I said, but now there's only one thing that you've got to promise me to do. I said, you've got to get better. When you're feeling really tough and strong, mm-hmm. you've got to come to the ring with uh, Miss Linda and me. The thing is, Linda is my valet, but Linda needs a valet. I said, you're the one I picked, so you've got to get better. And you're going to be, and you're going to be our valet. Mhm. OK. In the ring, Adrian Street is a bad man. But last night, he warmed the heart of a 13-year-old girl. He was a class act. From South Alabama Med Center, I'm Ron Golnick. She started getting better. They took her off some of her medication. They even started wheeling her outside around the um, hospital grounds. They let her go home. Eventually, she took up ballet, and she was actually a little ballet dancer for a while.
1: Exotic Adrian usually blows kisses to everybody right, when he right. steps into the ring. He planted one on her cheek right there, and she lit up. It. If I saw Adrian, I'd kiss him myself, but he might misunderstand.
0: He might. That's nice. nice. A good guy, bad guy. <laughs> that little girl ruined a villainous image that I had in that territory at the time. You know, the funny thing is, when I was a bad guy, when I was a villain, people didn't like that I was using that sort of style, that sort of gimmick to upset my opponent touch him up the backside or grab him and give him a kiss. They were upset by that because I was doing it to their hero and diminishing them. When, finally, I turned into a good guy, I did exactly the same things to the bad guys that I did to the good guys, and they loved me doing it. I mean, the crowd go, go on, kiss him, Adrian, kiss him, Adrian. Go on, Adrian, sort of do this. Go on, Adrian, do that. I never, ever never, never, ever said I was gay. I was interviewed lots of times and they came right to the point and said, are you gay or what? I go, oh, really? Really? When anybody tries to infer in any way, shape or form that I am effeminate, it makes me want to scream. Well, hello, it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful to be here. I'm being absolutely overwhelmed with fan mail from females and things like that, asking me out for luncheon dates, asking me out for dinner dates. But I'm very sorry, girls, I haven't got the time, and I absolutely lack the incentive. I wouldn't say, oh, yes, I'm gay or anything like that, which would have got reaction, which would have got attention, which would have got a heat. But the trouble is, you come out with something like that, the next thing is they can put you in a box, they've got you labelled, that's it. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't stay in a box. Like, the box isn't for me. Can you really imagine me in my favourite restaurant sharing a Chateaubriand with some redneck female who would be far better off sitting in the back of a pickup truck gorging herself with greasy hamburgers off paper plates? Not for me, thank you very much. No way. All right, that's the, life, that's the lifestyle. What about the competition? What about... The- did you
1: view the character as making fun of gay people or making fun of people's homophobia? Or how did you view the, how the character sort of fit in?
0: Do you, do you know, I've been asked that question before. There was a gay person that did a documentary a number of years ago and he said the not flamboyant gay people were offended by what I did, that they didn't like the idea of me... How can I say, like, giving gay people or something like that a bad name by doing it? And I said, you shouldn't be offended by that because I'm sort of actually mimicking flamboyant gay people. You know, if you come to that, I mean, flamboyant gay people are actually imitating women. So what's the difference? I've got to ask you a question, actually. Yeah. Um, You're asking me a lot about sort of gay stuff. Are you gay?
1: I, I'm not. No. No. But I think I think that's something that I do find really really fascinating. I think that you're this very like super macho guy, but then you also played this like effeminate character, and I think the well, the, the two I, I find very very interesting.
0: I found it interesting too. And the thing is, I regard anything. Believe what you want to believe. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't interfere with anybody else or harm anybody else while you're doing it. That includes preaching about it, whether it's religion or whether it's like, oh, you should try it, dear, you know what I mean? Don't knock it unless you've tried it, which I've heard a million times. My response to that, actually, if they sort of get like a little bit insistent, is I've never eaten dog shit, but I'm bloody sure I wouldn't like it. Are you there?
1: I, I am, yeah. <laughs> Just putting
0: that one through. Um. I was going to say people are what they are. And, you, you know, I mean, be yourself wherever it is, you know, as long as you don't harm anybody else. I hope I'm not being sort of politically incorrect or anything like that. But I don't know, but I would imagine most gay people can't help or don't want to help being what they are and I think people ought to be what they are. All my life as a professional wrestler, something I dreamed and craved to do and wanted to be great at, one thing that haunted me all through my career is I know that one day I'm going to be standing in the ring And this is going to be my last time. This is going to be the last time I actually perform. And the thought that I knew one day I'd have to live that moment was almost like contemplating death. The last show that I did was in Graysville, June the 14th, 2014, about three and a half years ago. Final match I wrestled again called Ian Flex. He was... Less than half my age, and I would say, give or take, about twice my weight. I beat him, kept the title, and I retired undefeated as the NWA heavyweight champion. I had 57 years as a professional wrestler. I've engaged in 15,000 professional contests, most of which I've won. I've been a world champion. I've held four world titles in three different weight divisions. I don't know anybody that's ever done that. And I'm very proud of my legacy. I can be a tulip. I can be a man. The only way of knowing is to catch me if you can. You can suppose what you want to suppose, but I'm just a sweet transvestite with a broken nose. I've got to be royalty. My blood must be blue. I'm king of the ring and I'm queen of it too. Have you ever seen muscles on a rose? I'm just a sweet transvestite with a broken nose. I'll kiss you or I'll kick you, that's what I like the best. I'm as tough as Marciano and as sexy as my West. As cute as Shirley Temple and as fast as Bruce Lee. I could kill a man eventually. I could be a tulip I could be a man The only way of knowing is to catch me if you can You can suppose what you want to suppose But I'm a sweet transvestite with a broken nose
1: That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Steven Jackson. Special thanks also to Jeremy Deller. Music on this episode featured tracks from Ensemble Entendu, Time Warp, E, Rushka V, Voorhees, Lucretia Dalt, and more. For a full playlist of all the music on our show, please visit our website. It's loveandradio.org. We'll also have links on there to Adrian's autobiography, all seven volumes and counting. Love and Radio is produced by Stephen Jackson and Julia DeWitt. We are a production of Radiotopia, whose executive producer is Julie Shapiro. Radiotopia is supported by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. I hate Joan Collins, but love her taste in clothes. I'm a sweet transvestite with her. Did I mention that DJ Jimmy Savile was over here? Jimmy Savile had like a big name. He, he was like a big DJ and all the rest of it. I mean, he was a tough guy, I suppose, from an extent, because he used to do all kinds of things. He did like the basic training with the Royal Marines and he did all kinds of stuff like that to put himself over as a tough guy. But it's all like publicity stunts more than anything else. I knew that he wanted to be a professional wrestler or engage in professional wrestling for the same thing. One of the big promoters that we wrestled for, oh, you know, that'll be great if we put him on the card and everything like that. Anyway, now because he was a big name, a big celebrity and everything like that, he puts him on to wrestle with me in the meantime. a main event with his Jimmy Savile. I couldn't believe that they'd actually put me on with him. I thought, this is a joke, surely. Ted Beresford came into my dressing room and he brought Jimmy Savile with him. He said, I want to introduce you to Jimmy Savile. You'll be wrestling with him tonight. I said, yeah, hello. He said, Adrian, I'd like you to do a draw. You get a fall and then Jimmy Savile gets the last fall. I said, piss off. I said, he's getting nothing. Oh, don't be like that, Adrian. Like, you know, don't, don't underestimate him. He's done this, he's done that, he's done something else. I said, let's see if he can wrestle. I ripped him inside out. I tore all the hair out of his head. He looked like an Indian had scalped him. There was blood everywhere. I kicked him. I punched him. For one thing, I was embarrassed going in the ring with the bloody guy. And another thing is, I was embarrassed that he was even in the business. So I wanted him out of it, and I put him out of it. He never, ever wrestled again. I pounded the living crap out of him. But, you know, the funny thing is, the newspapers were full of it a little while later, Jim will fix it for the kids and everything like that. He was molesting the hell out of them. We didn't know at the time. We knew that he liked young girls because he used to boast about it, but we didn't know how young. Everybody hated me for smashing him to pieces and everything like that. Back in the day, everybody congratulates me now they said you should have killed him.